0: I was carrying the name Christian around, but I really wasn't wasn't living the Christian life. We ended up falling victim to drugs and alcohol.
1: Things just escalated really far.
0: It was painful to um, watch them waste their life.
1: I started partying and drinking, and I made a lot of mistakes.
0: Got to the point where where it seemed like there was no hope. I felt like my whole world was going to cave in.
1: His way of dealing with things was just to drink it away.
0: But I was bitter, and I thought, like, what does this mean? Like, now you're different all of a sudden.
1: When he left, he never came home.
0: It's probably my ultimate low.
1: To give me a second chance.
0: So I basically lost my brother for 10 years.
1: I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel.
0: I didn't feel like God would forgive me for that. I met my wife in high school in Oklahoma. We ended up getting married and having a small family. Uh, we kind of fell victim to the small town syndrome, where poverty was, you know, almost inevitable. Things just kept getting harder and harder, and eventually, you know, drugs and alcohol became part of our daily life. You know, things eventually got too hard, and we ended up getting divorced. Um, I did come here with my children, but eventually lost custody. It, it, it tore my world apart. It was, um, you know, something that most people don't ever recover from. It was probably my ultimate low. So eventually I, I just, you know, trying and trying and trying to find my way to God, it just seemed like I would run into one roadblock black after another being a, a rough and tough tattooed country boy as much as i wanted him in my life it just seemed like there was no room for me until the day that i found hope literally i walked into hope poor and looking for help so as i began the journey toward toward god and toward christ you know i noticed that things started to break down You know, I started seeing a a stronger me being built, and that, you know, even though I would mess up, God would forgive me, and I would become just a little bit stronger every day. God began to instill in my heart to do the things that I had learned, which was, you know, asking for forgiveness and forgiving. So the strangest thing happened after failure after failure is is one day a call came in from my ex-wife and you know, there was a lot of deep, old wounds that we had to let God heal and both voluntarily walk back down the path that we stopped that God had originally put us on all those years ago. So we both went through hell and back and it, in the end, you know, I got my kids back and I got my wife back and it was God who Put all that together. And he made me all of them. Isn't
1: that a great story? Incredible story of life transformation. He, he's also my tattoo guy, so I can tell you where to get a good tattoo. Wait a minute. If you're visiting, is that too soon? By the way, anyway, but uh, it is so good to have you guys back. I missed you. I hope you had an incredible Christmas. Thank you for doing all that you do that allowed us to have over 23,000 people for Christmas Eve. People who experienced hope for the first time. Many of them heard the gospel for the very first time. You know, in 25 years of hope, we've never marketed, we've never advertised. It's been about people like you inviting people who need to hear the message of Jesus Christ and how he can change a life. So thank you for inviting them. I hope you're off to a great start Uh, With your new year, I hope you're not bothering to make any uh, New Year's resolutions because I read this week that 80% of Americans that make New Year's resolutions have forgotten about them by January 31st. Some of you are like, it took that long, huh? But anyway only 6% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually see them through to fruition, to becoming a reality. So I thought, well, that's not, that's not what's gonna happen. That's not what's gonna change our lives. And so this is what I decided. I decided we were gonna kick off this brand new series because I believe that a lot of us, we would love to look back at the end of 2020 and say it was the best year of my life. Not only did I live the life that God wanted me to live, I found out in the process it was actually the life that I wanted to live. And I believe that can happen. So we're gonna start this brand new series. It's called Lost and Found. Uh, It's based on one of the most familiar stories that Jesus ever told. It's the story of the prodigal son, by the way, which is part of a trilogy. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus actually tells three stories about lostness. He tells the story about a shepherd who loses a sheep, And he goes out and he searches high and low until he finds the sheep. And then he tells a story about a woman who loses a very valuable coin. And she turned her house upside down and swept every square inch until she actually found that coin. And then he tells the story of the lost son. But each one of these, Jesus wants us to understand just how much the father loves us and the extremes that he will go to to be in a relationship with us. So we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son. As I said, you've probably heard it, even if you haven't been to church. But just in case you haven't, if you have your Bible this weekend, turn with me over to Luke chapter 15. Uh, We're going to look at just the first couple of verses. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses up on the screen. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says Jesus continued, and he's continuing because he's already talked about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And now he comes to this story. He said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. Now, your Bible, your translation may say that he squandered his life in prodigal living. But let me point out something here before we really get into the story. You need to understand that the father in the story represents God. And you need to understand that the son in the story represents those of us at all of our campuses, all across the world, who are Christians. In other words, you've responded to the gospel that we needed saving. God sent us a Savior. And when we accept the gift of a Savior, that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, did for us what we could not do for ourselves, when we accept that gift of a Savior, we become saved. We are a part of the family of God. So understand this is a son. This is someone who is part of a family and he leaves home and he goes prodigal. Now, most of us have no idea what that word means. I doubt you had any conversation this week where you actually used the word prodigal, okay? So what does it mean? Well, Webster says this. Lacking restraint, marked by indulgence in things deemed vices such as drinking or promiscuous sex. Now, just yesterday, I came across the new revised edition of the Webster Dictionary and he updated his definition. Now it says, lacking restraint, marked by indulgence in things deemed vices, such as drinking or promiscuous sex or attending the University of North Carolina. It says it right there. But anyway, so understand, this is the kind of lifestyle that this young man is involved in. Now, let me just say this. Before we come down too hard on this guy, understand that as Christians, every one of us, including your pastor, has gone prodigal at some time in our life. Maybe it wasn't months. Maybe it wasn't years. Maybe it was just a few days. Maybe it was just a moment. Maybe it was just New Year's Eve, you know, when you lost all restraint and you went prodigal. But my point is this, we all go prodigal. So this is the question as we open up this series, I wanna talk about why. Why do we go prodigal? In other words, why as children of God, would we sometimes choose to walk away from the relationship that we have with a loving Heavenly Father and go prodigal? Or like Lenny Kravitz song. why would we choose to want to just get away? Why would we want to choose to fly away from the relationship we have with our Heavenly Father? Well, believe it or not, it actually all goes back to the book of Genesis. Everything that has a beginning is begins in the book of Genesis. It goes back to the story of Adam and Eve, how God created them, how he placed them in the Garden of Eden, and again, I realize when I bring up Adam and Eve, a lot of people are like, whoa, Mike, that's just a myth. Well, let me tell you why I think they were real people. I think Adam and Eve were real people because Jesus Talked about Adam and Eve as if they were real people. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus actually based an argument on Adam and Eve. How about this? Luke chapter 3, there is a genealogy that shows us how Jesus is actually related to Adam. And so understand, Jesus thought that Adam and Eve were real people. He talked as if Adam and Eve were real people, so I believe they're real people. So just stick with me, okay? Genesis 2:16. he puts them in the garden. He says, the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. In other words, I created this for your enjoyment. Have at it. There's only one rule. Can you just obey one rule? How would you like to live in a world where there was only one rule, right? There's just one rule, and he gives them the rule in verse 17. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Meaning what? Meaning the moment you eat of that tree, you are going to begin the process of dying physically. I don't know if you've ever thought about it or not, but if Adam and Eve hadn't disobeyed God in sin, they would have never died. But he says, if you eat that, if you disobey me, you're going to begin the process of dying physically. But even worse, the moment you eat of that tree you're gonna die spiritually. In other words, your spirit is going to die. And since our spirit is the part of us that communes with God, basically what's happening is when our spirit is dead, our relationship with God is dead. So Adam and Eve who were created in a relationship with God, they didn't have to do anything to earn that relationship. They were created in a relationship. When they disobeyed God, their relationship with God died. They were spiritually dead. They were separated from God. And when we do that, when we find ourselves spiritually dead, when we're separated from God, we have a tendency to make choices about life, not based on what God wants us to do or how God wants us to behave or what God wants us to say. We make choices based on things like, what makes sense to us? What feels right to me? What feels good to me? What is it that I want? What do I think I need to be happy? But you gotta understand, God didn't create us to exist that way. He created us to be in a relationship with him. And that's why God came up with the redemption plan. That's why when we talked about on Christmas Eve, he looked down at the mess that we had made of our earth, his creation, our lives, and he said, you know what? They need saving, and so he sent us a Savior. And when we accept God's gift of salvation, understand, our relationship with God is immediately restored. When we accept the gift of a Savior, immediately we are reconciled back into a relationship with God. God. But this is what's cool, and this is what I want to focus on this weekend. At that moment, our spirit that was dead because of our sin comes alive. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter nine that at that moment when our spirit comes alive, get this now, we are no longer controlled by our sinful nature, but we are controlled by the spirit of God. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, Mike, you know, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior 10 years ago or five years ago, or maybe you did accept Jesus Christ as your savior on Christmas Eve. But you're thinking, Mike, I'm glad you weren't around me on New Year's Eve because I was controlled by spirits. You know, not the spirit that you're talking about, right? Which brings up a question. Have you ever read something in the Bible that doesn't seem true in your life as a Christian? Let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Now, we're in church, so let's be honest, okay? Since becoming a Christian... Getting saved, having your life begin to be transformed. Do you ever find yourself dealing with some of the same old things in your life that you were dealing with in your life before you were saved, before you became a Christian? Do you ever lay in bed at night staring up at the ceiling and question, are the old things really gone? Did I really get saved? Is everything new? Because everything doesn't feel like it's new. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the same old rut. Is it just me, or do you feel that way sometimes? How about this one? Romans 8, verse 37. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Question. Even though you're a Christian, is there something going on in your life that you're having a hard time conquering? Even though you've accepted the gift of salvation, is there something going on in your life that you were struggling with before you got saved and you're still struggling with it? Maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's porn, maybe it's some kind of addiction. Here's another one. 1 John 5, 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Amen? No. Don't amen that. Because even though we're born of God, we've accepted God. Every one of us continue to sin. We all do that. Listen, even your Baptist neighbor. Now, they're not going to tell you that. And they got the world's biggest Bible and two or three fish on their car. I grew up Baptist. I know. Continue to sin. I got to tell you a funny story. By the way, you know how you can tell a Baptist from a Methodist? Methodists will say hi to you in the liquor store. Baptists won't, they're like, man, you never saw me here, right, right? Couple of Christmases ago, it's confession time. I had to go by the ABC store. I don't even remember why. I'm sure it was to get something for Laura. You guys pray for her. But anyway, well, let's just go it was to cook something. It was cook something, okay? But I had to go by the ABC store. So I go by the ABC store in Holly Springs. I walk in and lo and behold, I don't realize that the lady working in the cash register goes to Hope. So I walk into a packed ABC store and across from the front she yells, Pastor Mike, good to see you, that's my pastor. Every head in the store. I freaked, I went, I didn't know what to do, I wanted to deflect, like maybe they won't associate me with Hope, right, right. Let's be honest, we all sin, right? Does that mean we're not Christians? So how do you explain these verses? Well, this actually goes back to the original question. Why do we sometimes go prodigal? Why do we sometimes walk away from God? And the answer is, it's because once we get saved as Christians, we are made up of two parts. We have a brand new spirit, that spirit that has come alive for the first time, but at the same time, we still have an old self. In other words, when you get saved, when you make that decision to follow Jesus, your spirit is a new creation. So when it comes to your spirit, the old is gone, everything is new, and it's because your spirit has been saved, past tense. By the way, this word saved comes from a Greek word. The New Testament, if you're new to church, originally the New Testament was written in Greek, and then later on it was translated into languages like English. But this word saved comes from a Greek word that means made whole. So when you accept why Jesus died on the cross, that he died to pay for your sins, and you make that decision to follow Jesus, in other words, he becomes your Savior, at that moment, your spirit is saved. Your spirit is made whole. Your spirit is reconciled back into a relationship with God. And that's why every word in the Bible that refers to your salvation, it's always in the past tense. You've been redeemed You've been justified, you've been accepted, you've been reconciled, and it's because at the moment of your salvation, your spirit was saved, past tense, by God. That's why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, it's by grace you have been saved, it's by grace that you have been made whole, past tense. But here's the problem. We've gotta understand the difference between the finished work of grace, okay, God doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, what we could never earn, The finished work of grace as it relates to our spirit, but then the progressive work of grace as it relates to our lives. So think of it this way. I think I have a quarter somewhere. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, let's say you're the quarter, you are then in Christ. And when God sees you, think about this. God sees you through his son, Jesus Christ. That means he sees you the very way he sees Jesus and from god's perspective in christ you are righteous you are holy you are perfect that's your position but that body you live in your day-to-day experience it's still down here somewhere your positions up here i am a child of the king of heaven but my day-to-day experience not so good And part of the Christian journey is to get our day-to-day experience to begin to match our position. We're we're to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8. Now, we're not going to experience it until we get to heaven. But that's what that journey is that God wants to take us on. The great apostle Paul, think about this, who wrote most of the New Testament. The great apostle Paul. This is what he said in Romans chapter 7. He said, you know what, when it comes to my Christian life, things I know I ought to be doing, I don't do. Sound for me? The things I know I shouldn't be doing, dang it, I find myself doing it all the time. What a hot mess I am. He says, I, what a wretched man that I am. But then there's a chapter break, and I don't know why. Those weren't added. They, there's nothing inspired about chapter breaks. They were, they were added by the translators. And chapter 7 ends, Paul saying, what a wretched man that I am. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why the shift? Why did Paul say that? It's because Paul understood, my spirit has been saved. This is where I am positionally. It's been made whole, therefore there is no condemnation from God. Therefore, I could never ever be separated from the love of God. But Paul says, in reality, I am still attached to this old body, which is still in the process of being saved. Still in the process of being made whole. It's in the process of being transformed. By the way, this process of being made whole uh, uh, th- th- is often referred to in the New Testament as the old self. You're the old self. Let me give you some examples. Romans 6, 6, where we know that our old self was crucified with him. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Colossians 3, 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. In other words, you're not the same person you used to be, so you don't live the same way you used to live. But understand, even though our spirit has been saved, past tense, things like our actions, our behavior, our attitudes, our thought life, that's that's our old self, it's in the process of being saved. It's in the process of being made whole. See, it's in the process of being transformed. And the reason, getting back to our original question, that we go prodigal is because sometimes we just make the conscious decision that we're gonna live our lives and make decisions based on our desires, our plans, our ambitions, our thoughts. In other words, we give way to the old self instead of living under the control of the Spirit of God. Now, let me just share with you some facts about what life is like when we allow the old self to be in control of our lives instead of living under the power and the control of the Spirit in our lives. Here's the first one. When we live apart from the Spirit, we're self-centered. The universe revolves around us. It's all about me, it's all about you. And it's because, as I said earlier, before we were saved, before we were made whole, our spirit is dead. We had no connection to God. We didn't understand the mind of God, the logic of God, the ways of God. That means that we spent our lives making decisions based solely on our understanding and our logic, what we think is good, what we think is right, what we think is best. The problem is this. When we base life on our wisdom and our logic apart from the wisdom and the logic of God, we can come up with some really stupid conclusions about life. I'll give you an example. This is why we don't teach in our schools that we were created in the image of God. You know what we teach? That there was a huge cataclysmic explosion And although every explosion I've ever known about was destructive, this was a unique explosion. (laughs) Because this explosion somehow created life. Do you know why we have to come up with something like that? Because we don't want to acknowledge that there's a creator. We gotta come up with something, so we, we default to our thinking, our logic. By the way, Darwin, who wrote The Origin of Species, do you know what he said about the creator? I don't believe I came from a monkey. I believe I was created in the image of God. Maybe you do, but this is what he says. Maybe you believe I came from a monkey. But anyway, uh, (laughs) this is what what Darwin wrote. Therefore, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived upon this earth have descended from one primordial form into which life was first breathed by the what? Capital C, what? What was Darwin saying? Even if it evolved, It didn't happen without a creator. Now I doubt they taught you that in school. But even Darwin said there has to be a creator. Life had to start somewhere. But see, we don't like that idea, see. I'm not comfortable with the idea of God. Because if there's a God, that might mean that there's a moral order. If there's a God, that might mean that someday I'm gonna have to be accountable to him. And I'm an American and I wanna be the master of my own fate. So we gotta come up with something better. Say hey, I got an idea. There was a huge cataclysmic explosion that instead of destroying everything, created life. Single cell amoeba and some slime. A million years later, got a tail. A million years later, got some legs. Crawled out, adapted to breathing on land, started walking around, climbing trees, swinging around by its tail. A million years later, its tail fell off. Landed on two feet, stood up straight, got a briefcase and went to work on Wall Street. (laughs) I mean, seriously, seriously. Not trying to insult you. Not trying to insult you. Can you honestly look at the world and say this was just an accident? Have you ever held a newborn? You think that was an accident? You ever watched a sunrise or a sunset? Have you ever watched winter morph into spring? How in the world can you look at it? I'm not trying to insult you. But how can you honestly look at it and say, it, it's just an accident. But here's the thing, man without God thinks that way because man without God doesn't have the mind and the logic of God. And so you gotta come up with something. You gotta fill in the gap with something. But I'm telling you, as long as you're trying to figure out life apart from God, just using your own mind, your own logic, I'm telling you, that's as good as it's going to get. In fact, let me, let me just say something about the mind and the danger of relying just on your mind, just your logic for life. And, and this, th- th- In fact, this explains why we're so self-centered. Did you know that your mind is more brilliant than any computer that's ever gonna be created? In fact, did you know that your mind has a file on everything that has ever happened to you in your entire life? In other words, your subconscious mind, not your conscious mind, but your subconscious mind never forgets a thing. In fact, every time you experience something, your mind in a millisecond begins to process that data. And your mind will come up with 673 experiences that were similar to what just happened to you. And then it will continue to spin and it narrows it down to 114 experiences that were very, very similar to what just happened to you, and then down to seven experiences that were almost identical to what just happened to you. Now, just so you know, this is where deja vu comes from. You, you haven't actually experienced it before, but you're like, man, this is weird. I've experienced something almost identical to this before. And because the mind is naturally self-centered, you know what it does? It automatically goes into self-preservation mode. This explains why you can meet somebody for the very first time and walk away from that first time encounter thinking, I don't like that guy. He's a jerk. You ever done that? I mean, how is that possible? You just met the guy. How can you determine that he's a jerk? You know why? It's because your mind began to process. Have I ever met anybody like this before? And in just a millisecond, your mind determined, yes, I have. And your mind pulls up all the people that are like this guy. And one of them pulled your shorts down in PE in the seventh grade and you've never gotten <laughs> over that, right? So you walk away telling yourself, I don't like this guy, right? And your wife's, you're an idiot, you don't even know him all, are you kidding me? You're like, I got a file on this guy, I know this guy, I know what he's, at. see, that's how incredible the mind is. And here's my point. Our minds determine how we live. Our minds determine who we are, and I'm telling you, our mind is naturally selfish. In fact, your mind's most important priority is protect number one. Keep number one from being embarrassed. Keep number one from being hurt. Protect number one. And you gotta understand, that kind of stuff is still going on up here in your head, even after you get saved. Because your spirit has been made whole, but you're dealing with, the, dealing with the old self. And the old self is selfish. Now here's the second thing you should know. Because we're selfish, our only hope is to submit to the spirit. Let me just see if I can explain it. Let's say that you became a Christian at the age of 35. In other words, at 35, you accepted God's gift of salvation, you were made whole, your spirit came to life. That's great, that's awesome, but that also means that for 35 years, your old self has been calling the shots. For 35 years, your old self has been running the show, but now that you're a Christian, your spirit, that's been dead for 35 years, has suddenly come alive. And your spirit walks in and announces to your old self, hey, there's a new sheriff in town, right? I'm in charge now, things are going to be different around here. How do you think the old self is going to react? You think the old self's gonna say, it is so good to have you. You have at it, I'm glad you're here to take over. No, your old self said, mm-mm. I don't know who you are, but you're not taking over, not without a fight. Because your mind is saying, i got to protect number one. And your spirit responds by saying, but wait, 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 you're, you're a new creation in Christ. You're, you're under my control. We, we have new priorities. We have new rules. We have new principles that we operate by. Now, you got to put others first. got to turn the other cheek. you you, you got to deny yourself you got to forgive others as you've been forgiven by God. you got to love other people as you've been loved by God. you got to accept other people as you've been accepted by God. But I'm telling you, all of these things are so foreign to your old self because, see, this isn't the way you've lived for the previous 35 years. For the 35 years, it's about getting even, retaliating. If you want to climb the ladder, climb over your grandma if she gets in the way. See, that's the way you've lived. And so your old self that's been calling the shots for 35 years, understand your old self is not happy. And so this battle develops between your old self, your flesh, and your new spirit. Listen to how Paul describes it in Galatians five sixteen. So I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, you won't give in to the old self. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. Wow. By the way, This is why we need to think about everything we read. This is why as Christians we need to think about everything we watch and ask ourselves, am I feeding my old spirit, I mean my old self, or am I feeding my new spirit? Because I can promise you this, the more you feed the old self, the stronger it's going to become. And the stronger it becomes, the harder it's going to be for your experience, right, to begin to match your position. So what do you got to do? You got to stop feeding the old self. And I'm going to warn you, when you stop feeding the old self, it's like trying to wring a baby off a bottle so that you can start feeding that baby solid food. You ever try to do that? What's that baby do? That baby cries. <coughs> Pitches a fit, throws a tantrum. You know why? That baby thinks you're trying to kill them that baby thinks you're taking away the only food source that they have ever known so here's the question what do you think the old self is thinking when you're trying to wean it the old self is thinking you're trying to kill me but this is the difference in this case you are and that leads to the third point if you're going to live by the spirit if you want to experience uh, live by the spirit if you want to experience the life that God designed for you to experience as a follower of Jesus Christ The old self has to die. In fact, I will tell you this you'll never win this battle. Your experience will never ever match your position until you kill the old self with its will, its mind, its ambition, its emotions, its desires. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 31, I face death every day. I like the old translation. Translation, This is what Paul said I die daily, I have to die daily. That's what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's my life verse. I took it as my life verse when I was 18 years old. If I, if you, if you, if I sign one of my books, if you ask me to sign it, you notice I put Galatians 2.20. This is what it says. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Think about that. I'm crucified with Christ. What happens when you crucify somebody? They die. And so what this verse tells us is that God has big, big plans for our unredeemed, transformed thoughts. God has big plans for our unredeemed, untransformed will and ambitions and desires. He wants to kill them. He wants to kill them so that we can have a new life. So we can have the life that we really want. By the way, aren't you glad you came to church this weekend to discover that God wants to kill you, right? (laughs) And if you still don't believe that God wants to kill you, i got some more verses for you. Here you go. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their what? Cross, Cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life. By the way, that, that word life, it comes from a Greek word. We get our English word psyche. It means mind, will, emotions, desire. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me. In other words, whoever's, you're willing to put the old self to death. We'll find it. Then you'll find the life you want. Here's another one, Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves their will, their desires, their ambitions, and take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, I read that and think, why did you have to go and say daily? I just want to make the decision one time and be done with it. I I just want to be transformed. I want the transformation to be complete. Now let me just say this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've not accepted God's gift of salvation. Let me just say this: if you want a new life in Christ, if you want to be saved, you only have to make that decision one time. This is what Paul said in Romans 10:9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, there you go. You will be saved. That's the Bible. Don't argue with it. Your spirit is saved, it's made whole when you believe. But you got to understand the rest of you, your thoughts, your actions, your behavior. It's in the process of being made whole. It's in the process of being transformed. That's why Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Romans, Romans, when he got to chapter 12, he changed the analogy from hanging on a cross to an altar. Why would Paul do that? Because Paul was writing to the Romans where they worshiped hundreds of gods. And so there are altars all over Rome, sacrifices going up for everything. So they understood that. They understood that concept. So Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy. In other words, in light of what God has done for you by giving his son to die for you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, this is the logical response to what God has done for you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't be a jello Christian. Don't conform to every scenario you get put into, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You've gotta identify all the lies that you've lived by, all the lies that shaped your life before you became a Christian. Lies you believed about marriage, lies you believed about relationships that shaped how you handled your relationships, lies that you believed about, that shaped how you handled your finances. You have to identify all of those lies, and then you have to begin one at a time replacing them with the truth of God's word. And Jesus said in John, in John eight thirty two, when you do that, the truth will set you free. Eight twenty eight, the truth will set you free. And we even sang about it this weekend. Who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? So you got to be transformed by changing how you think. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Not your good, pleasing, and perfect will, because that's not going to get you where you want to go if you want to have the best year ever. It will help you determine what God's perfect, pleasing, and perfect will is. So that verse tells us that if we really want to experience our best life, if we don't want to go prodigal, we're going to have to offer ourselves every day as a living sacrifice on the altar. In other words, you're going to have to die to yourself, your will, your desire, your ambitions, your emotions, every day. And you know what it means? You're basically going to have to live on the altar. And therein lies the answer to our question. Why do we go prodigal? Well, the reason we go prodigal is we want to get down off the altar. We just don't always want to do life God's way. We want to We kind of want to get out and we want to spread our wings. We want to try some things. We want to do our own things. In other words, we want to fulfill our own dreams, our own will, our own desires, our own ambition. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God. Satan came along and said, God's holding out on you. I'm going to give God the benefit of the doubt. I think he probably does have a pretty cool plan for your life. But Adam and Eve, you ever thought about this? There might be something better out there. And they begin to reason with their human minds. And they began to apply logic. And they thought, you know what, there could be something out there better. There could be something out there more desirable. And if we don't look, we will never ever know. And they made the selfish choice and they walked away. And I'm telling you in the very same way, the reason we go prodigal is because our mind and our wills and our desires, they overrule the spirit of God. And the only way I know that you can consistently submit to the spirit is to get into this book daily and adapt your life to what it says. See, we live in a culture that we want to adapt God's word to what we want it to say. But that's not how your life is transformed. You're transformed by getting into this book and using it as a mirror. And when you read something that God expects of you and you think, man, my life, that doesn't doesn't mirror my life. I need to bring my life into line with God's expectations as it relates to how I treat people in relationships and how I treat God and how I handle my finances and how I forgive and how I hold grudges and all of these things. That's what I need to do. And your life will be transformed. And over time, your experience will begin to match your position. And you will discover the life that God designed for you to live. And if you do that, 2020 will be your best year ever. But I will tell you this. The bad news is there isn't a quick fix. It's a journey. But the good news is it, 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 can, it can happen. 2020 can be the best year ever. But let me tell you what it comes down to. You got to crawl up on that altar every day. And die to your will and your ambitions and your desires. So that you can find God's pleasing and perfect will for your life. You gotta get into his word. Let me give you a couple of opportunities where you could do that uh, this year. Coming up January 26th is starting point. You'll hear more about this, but it's, it's a class that meets during our services. So you're here already, and it's a small group of people. And if you're just new in your faith or just kicking the tires of Christianity, you wanna, maybe you're right there, but you're not quite sure, we're going to give you a Bible. We're going to teach you about the Bible, how it works, where it came from, how you can apply it to your life. But it's a very beginning stage, so it's starting point. Other things you may want to consider is what we call the five marks uh, of of, of a disciple. There are five characteristics, and we have this guide. Uh, You can actually get the PDF file, download it. You can go to our next step counter. They will give it to you, and you have to identify the stage that you feel you're in on your spiritual journey as a Christian. Maybe you're just beginning. Maybe you're getting where you can walk a little faster, jog a little bit, but what would be the next step for you to continue to grow? And then the next one is what we call the next 30 days. The next 30 days, and also you can go online and get that at gethope.net backslash next30. And basically, it's 30 days of devotionals, scripture reading, and stories from the staff here at Hope Community Church about different things in the Christian life. And you could just do that for the next 30 days, and that would at least get you moving in the right direction. But what it's going to help you to do is this. It's going to help you put off the old self, and it's going to help you put on the new. In other words, it's going to help you renew your mind. So, what do you say we team together and we encourage one another and we make this the best year ever? Because this is the year where we forgot about our will and what we want and we focused on the will and the desires and the pleasures of God. Let's bow. Let me just say this before I pray. Let me just ask you Are you in the family yet? You see, you can't even go prodigal if you're not in the family. (laughs) But if you're not in the family, I'm telling you, God loved you so much, he's head over heels and loved you. He just wants to be in a relationship with you. You can't make it happen, so he did. By becoming flesh and dwelling among us that first Christmas, 33 years later being nailed to the cross, the perfect son of God, shedding his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. And when we accept what he did for us, and we believe that he rose from the dead, Paul says, you'll be saved. And if you make that prayer in your heart, you are instantly made whole, reconciled in your relationship with God. If you've never done it, just say, God, I want to be made whole. I believe your son died on the cross for my sins, and I believe three days later he rose from the dead to prove and verify to the world that he was the son of God. Please forgive me for my sin. And thank you for accepting me as your child. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You pray that prayer and I'm telling you, you will be saved. Father, thank you that you made it available to anyone and everyone and so the simplest mind can understand it. In fact, sometimes I think we struggle the most when we are intelligent and we wanna analyze and pick it apart and try to make sense of it. But see, we gotta understand that's our mind and our logic. But that's not your mind, that's not your logic. Help us to see you as the God that you are, a God of compassion and mercy and grace, whose mercies are renewed every morning. And let people who aren't in the family just know they're just one prayer away from being made whole. We love you. I can't wait to see what you're gonna do in our life during this series. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message. We are so excited to be a small part of all the great things that God is doing in and through your life. If you would like to take the next step in your spiritual journey, download the Hope app to find out ways to connect, opportunities to serve, and other resources. And if you'd like to contribute financially to our vision of reaching the triangle and changing the world, visit us at gethope.net slash giving. Thank you for your commitment to resourcing hope as we love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus.